thank you. Those were the last words of Lieutenant Michael Murphy before he laid down his life for his nation. He was a Navy SEAL, a friend, brother, and to our guest, a son. Dan Murphy joins the show to talk about his hero, his son, Michael, and how his legacy lives on one Murph at a time. Mr. Murphy, welcome to Pick Up the Six podcast. Uh, thanks, Brian. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here and uh, happy to uh, uh, talk about Mike and what's going on with reference his legacy mm-hmm. of service and sacrifice. Yes, sir. We've got a lot to get to. Uh, you know, the focus of our podcast here is to talk about service before self, strength of purpose, community impact, all of those things, full embodiment uh, that your son carried on. Before we talk about your son and your hero, you, sir, 25th Infantry Division during Vietnam, wounded uh, in combat. So first and foremost, thank you so much for your service. Welcome home, sir. And I get the feeling that that may have laid some groundwork uh, in your family, your service before self. Well, sure. And not just me. My father was also a World War II veteran, um, was injured and uh, also disabled. I'm 40% disabled from uh, my injuries in Vietnam. So my perspective on the military, while very supportive, uh, wasn't something that, you know, uh, I wanted, I discussed with Michael. Uh, I would never discuss uh, what was going on. Um, even though he was very curious, what did you do during the war? How did it happen? Uh, I was very circumspect. I, it wasn't a path that I really wanted for Michael. Uh, more so, not uh, basically because Michael had all the tools to be a to be special. You know, I, I think this way to say it. I saw in him early on uh, leadership qualities. It's difficult to explain to people, but even young, when he was five and six, you'd we'd see his friends would come up to him, and the first thing that, that you'd hear, "Oh, Mike, what what do you want to do today?" Yeah. So it was like they all looked at Michael. Okay, what are we going to do? And it was dawned on me as I watched this interaction between his friends that I read in there in what they did. Basically, they relied on Michael because they knew Michael would do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons, whether it was to play baseball, football, uh, we're going to go and jump in the pool, we're going to do this. It's just he had a sense about him that his friends saw that knew Michael is the leader and let him uh, run. And you just saw that growing up. I mean, you know, I, I try and point out to people that think of this young man, I'm talking eight, nine years old. And he's at a, uh, and he's playing like, you know, dumb, like baseball, you know, little league baseball. Sure, sure. And um, we're in the playoffs now. I coached him through most of it until he got to high school. But he's now eight, nine years old. He um, comes up to bat um, and um, hits a home run that wins the game in the playoff. He runs around the bases and like they do, the kids all come out and they jump around and, and they're yelling. Michael, you won the game, you won the game, you won the game. Now, this is an eight, nine-year-old. He turns around and says to them, I didn't win the game. We won this game as a team, he said, because if you hadn't gotten on base, I wouldn't have been able to come up to bat to hit the home run that won the game. Now, when you think of an eight or nine-year-old saying that, 
it strikes you as, boy, is he a team player? It's not about him. It's not, a, you know, it's not about, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm the hero here. It was, this was a team sport. It was a team win and it had nothing to do with me. And that's what I saw as he was growing up. He was like a born leader from yeah. way before. So. That's incredible. I mean, you know, those things have to be instilled at home, but there is just something in leaders. And it sounds like there was just something natural in him. I mean, even at an early age, you know, leaders have to provide direction, enforce standards and make decisions. And even in those moments at five, six, seven, eight years old, his, his peers were leaning on him to be able to do that. There, there's a famous story about him where I think he was in the seventh or eighth grade where he basically came to someone's defense, right? And he, and he gets yep. sort of deemed Michael the protector early in his life. Can you tell me that story? Well, he actually became Murph the protector. Right, that's right. Murph. But Murph the protector uh, came in when he was in eighth grade. He was middle school. Um, and uh, three, basically bullies were trying to push a special needs child into a locker. And Michael always had this sense of right and wrong. And he knew this was wrong. And so he jumped in. Um, and uh, the principal called us, told us uh, that we had to pick him, that we had to take him from school, not because he did anything wrong, because the principal said, don't, we don't expect him to be punished. But if you're involved in an altercation in school, they all have to leave school. So we went and got him and we found out uh, the reasons why. And so he came back to school the next day. Um, and that's when the mantra of uh, the protector uh, came, came about. But that was Michael early on. I mean, he was just that type of person. Uh, same thing with the homeless man um, who was um, uh, uh, collecting cans. And a he, Michael's walking home from school and a bunch of uh, kids are harassing him, throwing his stuff around. And Michael jumped in. What I thought was interesting about that is that when I heard the story was that to give you a sense, because this tells you about Michael, the kids turn and say to my, when Michael tells them to stop, oh, Michael, you're not going to start again, are you? And Michael goes, I'm not going to start anything, but I'll but I'll finish it if you don't leave this man alone. And what that said to me when this story was related to me was that those kids already knew that Michael, hey, if you if you uh, bother people, I am going to get involved. Right. And so it wasn't a long stretch when he said he wanted to be going to the Navy and into the special operations, basically, because it was like his sense of I'm going in to that particular area because it's targeting individuals who I know shouldn't shouldn't be there. And I'm going to either capture them or kill them in one of two ways. Right, because you're going in and ultimately willing to risk yourself to defend others. And he had been doing that throughout the course of his life. So even if it's not something that was perhaps talked about, you, you probably get a sense that he's heading in that direction. I want to talk about the moments that led up to him saying, hey, this is going to be my path forward, this military path. You know, on episode two of our show, sir, we had the real honor and privilege of speaking with Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Spanky Peterson, an Air Force Reserve pilot who flew missions during Operation Red Wings, one of which was to rescue Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor. He was also part of the effort to retrieve a trio of fallen SEALs. They, those men were Matt Axelson, Danny Dietz, and of course, your son, Michael Murphy. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But at what point did you get the sense that this young man, this protector, th this young man's bound for the military, and then an elite team 
like in the Navy SEALs? Well, it actually happened, you know, when Michael was in Penn State, uh, he met a, um, a, a retired uh, Navy SEAL captain who was a trustee of Penn State. And Michael went to talk with him. And I, I guess he, it had been on his mind. He was thinking about it. And it, it, he told me, um, Michael used to come home from Penn State on Fridays. There's a bus that goes right to Long Island. And he would take the bus and come home to Long Island, but he wanted to stay as long as he could with the family because he was very family oriented, too. Mm -hmm. So rather than take the bus back to Penn State Sunday afternoon, he would wait and I would basically drive him back to Penn State. We'd leave like 11 o'clock at night. I would drive him to Penn State, drop him off at like 3 or 3.30 in the morning and then drive back to New York so that I, was, I could be back to call my court calendar at 10 o'clock. Wow. And so we did that for uh, quite a period of time. What I liked about it, Brian, was, you know, it was literally, remember, we're leaving 11 o'clock at night, so we're driving in the middle of the night. It was like five hours of quality time Just with one this on young one man, time. my yeah. son, yeah. where no... There's no no distractions. We're just driving down I-80 in the middle of the night, and we're just talking about everything. And it was on one of those trips, returning him to back to Penn State, where he turns to me and says, Dad, you know, he said, um, I um, I've been looking at the military and the Navy in particular. I think I want to be um, a Navy SEAL. And um, my initial response was, uh, uh, Michael, if you join the military, I'll disown you. <laughs> um, uh, more so for, uh, let me explain why. I mean, sure. if my first reaction was, it. Michael, I'm going to disown you, right. um, was that I didn't want him joining the military for the wrong reason. You know, I didn't want him to think, oh, be all you can be, see the world, you know, the, the PR work. Mm -hmm. um, it was more, I wanted to explore with him his reasons for it, understanding the sacrifice that could that could come from that and so we had a long discussion over many days about uh, his uh, choice and um, um, you know you come to the point where okay you, you're, you're you're going in to this for the right reasons um, uh, you have your head on straight even though it wasn't my first choice because you know the difference, I think, is Michael, like I said, had all the tools to be outstanding. Uh, he was smart as a whip. Um, and when I say it that way, I really mean smart. He never had to study. He just naturally grasped things. He graduated with honors and a double major at Penn, Penn State. He was like 47th in his class. Um, this is a boy who just a man who uh, went to class and grasped it right away. And so he had a good sense of things. He wanted to um, uh, uh, go to law school, but he didn't want to be a lawyer. Um, he had no interest in practicing. Uh, uh, between you and I, I got him a job one summer in a law office um, working there, and, uh, and he hated it. <laughs> he, hated, he said, Dad, I can't take I being can't my desk. Yeah. And I said, Michael, I understand. So, but he liked the education. So the, the law aspect is that, you know, he said, said, Dad, I really want to go to law school. I like the Socrates sort of uh, type of teaching where you learn from case law how to think logically, how to come to a proper conclusion, th that whole type of, of thinking. Um, but I have no interest in practicing law. So it looked like, uh, from what I understand, he was going to go into law enforcement. 
And then uh, the road takes him. What, what time frame is this? Where, where are we? Uh, what year is he graduating from college? He graduates in 98 uh, from Penn State. So you figure this was like around 1995, 96. You're having um, these conversations. When, when he's talking to Captain, uh, uh, Captain McCombie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ryan McCombie, who was, is a Penn State trustee, still is, um, and uh, then makes the uh, announcement to me that uh, that he, he's thinking about the military. This um, is all, but this is all, you know, pre 9-11, right? So it still is a very oh, yeah. different world yeah. that we're living in. And, and the idea of your son going to the military, saying he wants to be a Navy SEAL, it is a different reality than before this war on terror really becomes what it became after oh, for sure. 9-11. How did that change happened, When 9-11 happened, Michael was in his, was at Bud's in his last um, uh, phase because he graduated in October of uh, 2001. Um, and that's a story in and among itself. The Navy, you know, we flew out to San Diego, but the flights were, you know, real tight security. The Navy uh, wouldn't allow us to drive on base. We had to meet them outside and we all got on buses, photo ID, the whole bit, just to go to uh, Michael's graduation from Bud's in October. Wow, that's incredible. So all of that is happening in and around that timeline. His early career in the Navy, could could you tell from seeing him operate and, and move around, from speaking to him that he was doing special things there? Oh, sure. He was, uh, um, I guess, the battalion commander. He was a, or a platoon commander for, uh, in OCS. His um, uh, instructor gunny sergeant was David Irwin, um, who is a really uh, interesting uh, 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 Marine Corps sergeant. Um, I have his contact information if you ever want to talk to him. He's, he's uh, really, he's retired now, but we keep in touch. Um, he he basically, Michael, his most famous graduate, mm-hmm. you know, like it just a Michael, mm-hmm. Michael was the guy. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, 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 thanks God every day that he had Michael in his class. Um, so, uh, uh, but Michael was, I guess, um, you have the, I guess the, the honor man, the first guy, then you have the second guy that I guess carries the flag. Mm-hmm. And then you have three guys each having a platoon. Michael was one of those guys that had one of the platoons. So I guess not an honor guy, but like fourth or sure. fifth. In sure. the, thing. the big mm-hmm. thing you know, people probably should take away about Michael is that Michael never liked attention on himself at all. So in any pictures you see him, he's always in the background mm-hmm. um, in everything, whether he's with his team, when he was a SEAL. As a matter of fact, I get asked a lot. Uh, they they uh, say, "Hey, you know, we saw Michael's quarter deck picture in his Navy uniform uh, out at, uh, and he says the, all he's got on his uniform is uh, we know he did four deployments, but all he has on his uniform is the National Defense Ribbon and his expert pistol and rifle." And I said, "Because that's the only thing the Navy could get him to stand for, because he just didn't like having his picture taken." Wow. Um, so. Uh, it's. I mean, I have a great picture that I carry in my wallet because I love it so much where Michael has a scowl on his face. And what had happened is I was at a bank conference in Hawaii and Michael had just come back from his first deployment to Iraq or, or Qatar or, you know, Qatar, mm-hmm. I guess. And then they move out from there. And um, 
he had got his apartment and and he wanted to show me. And so I flew over from the Big Island over to Oahu to see Mike. I hadn't seen him in a year. And I'm taking pictures. And he has the scowl. He says, Dad, will you stop with the picture? <laughs> and so basically that was the Navy. I'm sure I had the same problem because, it, OK, you, you got me to sit for the one picture so you could put it up in the in the I guess the room wherever they put all their offices and men. But I'm not standing for any more. And that's kind Come of come to think way. of it, sir. You know, if you Google him, the, there's a famous picture where he's got the beard. He's in full, you know, fatigues, camo. They're doing their thing on the hillside somewhere. And I think he's got probably that scowl look on his face. It, it oh, yeah. Up, uh, quite yeah. a bit. All right, you know, go ahead, please. It's, um, I wanted to relate, give you a funny story is that when Gary Williams did Michael's biography, Seal of Honor, they came to us about using a picture and they grabbed one of the pictures that was in Afghanistan, a famous picture. If you ever look at it, either on the book or something, um, the picture on Seal of Honor uh, is when, we, when uh, they posted it. That's the one uh, I'm talking about. That's the picture I have in yeah. mind. It's the Well, let me there. tell you when, you know, I looked at it and I said, wow, what a great picture of Michael. <laughs> His mother looks at it. And she goes, look at his red face. He didn't use sunscreen that day. And I, and you know, just like a mother, it was like, oh, you right. wear your sunscreen. So exact picture um, I had in mind, which is which is kind of funny. So, all right, let's uh, let's fast forward to that fateful day, uh, June twenty eighth, two thousand and five, when four Navy SEALs are embedded in to the Hindu Kush of Afghanistan to go uh, after a high-level Taliban target. Um, uh, things do not go according to plan. An ambush ensues. Three of those SEALs lose their life in that combat, one of which uh, is your son. Uh, the fourth man of that team is the lone survivor, Marcus Luttrell. And again, if you haven't listened to episode two of Pick Up a Six podcast, please, guys, go back and take a listen. Incredibly powerful story with Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Spanky Peterson about that mission that went into that. And it is really an incredible story of service before self to ensure that no man is ever left behind. And we know that our nation will pay any price uh, to defend our own. I want to talk to you about two parts of, of that fateful day. One of which are those two words that thank you at the very end. And if you've seen the movie Lone Survivor, and I know you've watched, I know some members of your family have, and I totally understand why. But you do hear those final two words when he's making that call in. He goes to sacrifice himself to make the comms call in to get them back in there to try to extract these guys. And those two final words are thank you. Sir, my, my guess is it comes at no surprise to you that he signs off with that in that fateful moment. Uh, not at all. Michael was always polite, um, uh, just a real gentleman. Um, and I tell people, you could have walked from one end of Long Island to the other, and anyone who met Michael took to him. They liked him. He had a very um, type of personality that drew people to him. Uh, I, I, even now, we're talking, um, uh, shoot, 16 years later. Mm -hmm. Um, Michael brings people together with this, with the stuff that's going on with his foundation, the museum, the, uh, fair, it's like people come into, Oh, Michael Murphy. I know that story. I, any way I can help, I'd love to help. And so it happens a lot. Um, what people don't know about Michael is that Michael's favorite historical figure was Abraham Lincoln. 
And I remember and recall him coming to me saying, you know, Dad, it's really interesting. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, as strong a leader as he was, having to deal as president with a civil war going on and trying to bring people together, said he was never the type to issue orders. He, he said he would come into a cabinet meeting and he would have a sense of where he wanted to go. But it was never like he wanted to say, this is what we're going to do. He would sit there and talk to his cabinet and say, OK, we have this problem. How do we solve it? And they would all go around. And when they landed on where his thought process were going, he said, that's a good idea. We should explore that further. In many ways, Michael's sense of leadership was the same way. He was never one to bark orders at people. Um, so it wasn't surprising when, you know, when we heard that that um, they're walked on by uh, goat herders. They don't know what to do. Michael turns around to his men and says, OK, guys, four, four heads are better than 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 one. Uh, what do you think? And then you have the discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt Axelson says we should kill them. And of course, Michael goes through the through the process. Well, if we kill them, what do we do about the hundred goats with bells around their neck? Sure says, who's going to kill them because you can't shoot them because somebody's going to have to cut their throats. And who's going to kill a 15-year-old man, a boy? So, of course, Danny goes, you know, Mike, that's your decision, not mine. Marcus, thinking about this, says, uh, um, Murph, I guess you're right. We're going to have to let him go. And Michael says, yeah, I think we have to let him go. And they let him go. A consensus builder, as opposed to saying, we're letting him go. This is, this is what's going to happen. Now, Marcus, when he discusses it, you know, Robinson basically probably used the wrong term in saying there was a vote. He said Michael more or less polled his men, basically asking them their opinion. What do you think we should do? And, you know, and landed on where Michael knew they had to go with the rules of engagement, which is they have to be released. Um, and so um, uh, they released them. And I don't think Michael, even if he knew the outcome, would have changed his decision. Uh, making it all just because it wasn't in him to just kill innocent civilians or even civilians without weapons. So it's uh, I know Marcus carries carries with him a lot of guilt, mm -hmm. uh, but Marcus is an incredible young man. Uh, we love him to death. And we every time we see him, we try and remind him, look, it, it's not you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Michael, this was a decision. Michael preordained. And Marcus, you shouldn't take it on yourself to think that, oh, if I had just decided uh, differently, Michael would still be alive because it wouldn't have happened because Michael then would have uh, put, basically put his foot down and said, no, w we can't do this. Right. So the, in, in that way, I feel uh, I, I just feel sorry. Having been in combat, I know what's going through Marcus's mind. It's a really it's tough to carry you know that on your shoulders. Um, but we we as our family and the other families try and uh, let him know over and over that, look, at you did what was necessary. You survived. As far as I'm concerned, if Marcus doesn't survive, no one knows what happened. Michael doesn't get the Medal of Honor. Right. And uh, so uh, it was ordained that that Marcus should survive and get that story out. So, I mean, you can't uh, you know, that's so. That's the way it happened, and I don't, I don't see a, a problem with it at all. God love you, Mr. Murphy. Incredible perspective and, and strength of purpose in that, and peace, peace in knowing yep. 
that the outcome, um, you know, was there. It was in front of them. And those men had to make a tough decision, but the right decision. You, you do the right things right for the right reasons, just like yeah. you talked about. And even in that moment, yeah. he had. And to. let me tell you something else that, was, uh, that Michael said to me. You know, when I spoke to him, um, um, when he joined the Navy SEALs, I said, you know, Michael, I said, just, uh, just so you know, you know, you're going into a dangerous profession where you're going to be behind enemy lines. Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot of support. If things go bad, they're going to go really bad. Uh, I said, and, 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 and this could be, this could be a dangerous situation. And he turns to me as his father, and he goes, and he says like this, he goes, dad, he said, look, he says, just so you know, I'm not looking to get myself killed. But should it happen, I'd rather that than sit behind a desk for 30 years and hate my life. Mm. So I hold that close as his father. Yes, Michael, I want you back because you're, you know, you're my son. But then when I think about it, I say to myself, but do I, would I want him back where, where he's sitting behind a desk for 30 years and he hates his life or the life he lived? And so I try, that's the way I look at it, that we celebrate his life, not remember his death. That's right. That's absolutely correct. You know, I've had the distinct honor of standing with Gold Star families in Section 60 of Arlington, and I've heard them say that same exact thing. We're here today, yes, to mourn still, but to celebrate our loved ones. And I've seen many gather around headstones with cigars and whiskey and celebrate their loved ones uh, and been in some of those moments. And it's incredibly powerful. The other part of this story, you know, not only just, you know, his, his incredible selflessness, the ability to provide direction to his men, enforce a standard. The standard on this mountain is this. We are Americans. We are above the way others might do things. The Taliban would have whacked us if they had the chance. We will not. And to make a hard decision. And that's what they did in that moment. The other piece is, is how our nation will spare no expense to go get our own, right? The effort that went into retrieving Marcus is absolutely incredible. When you think about the fact that a Chinook goes in, it's unsuccessful, we lose more. We have to come up with a plan to retrieve them and to go retrieve him. And it's this Air Force Reserve team, sir, that does it. I mean, it's amazing hearing Spanky talk yeah. about that, you know? And then, and then while that's happening, right, while Marcus is being extracted, still coming up with an effort, to go get your son and to go get Danny Dietz. And then a few weeks later to go get Axelson because he was in a different area. Yeah. Um, how much do you know about that extraction effort? And would you mind sharing some of that? Well, with uh, we know, I know a lot about it because um, the pararescue uh, men who rescue, who basically recovered Michael and Danny was so moved by Michael and his story that he started what ultimately became uh, the CrossFit program Murph mm -hmm. and the Murph Challenge. Uh, Dr. Josh Chappelle was the uh, pararescue man uh, and a doctor on that helicopter. So you think about the sacrifice that he's making. I mean, here he is yeah. as a doctor and he's in, you know, extractions uh, of that type are highly dangerous. Yep. Um, and he uh, recovers Michael and he's so moved, he starts what he calls Memorial Day Murph doing the CrossFit program that Michael loved. Um, and it got so big and because it was so popular that he wound up turning it over to two Navy SEALs, Mike Sowers and Ryan Brundage uh, from Forged, who took it nationwide. Yep. Uh, so that now you have this Murph challenge during the Memorial Day weekend. I want to so, talk, talk a little bit about that. Uh, but first, 
part of the story includes, you know, the, the, the harrowing effort to really go retrieve our, our uh, fallen brothers that are left behind, pair rescue sure. men that essentially, when they find them, uh, have to secure them, have to stay with those bodies until helicopters are able to come hoist them up. Spend a few days with them. Yeah. Well, they recovered, they recovered the men from the helicopter crash first, um, and they were then transported back to the States. Uh, Michael uh, uh, and Danny and um, Matt, uh, and then Matt, uh, like 10 days later, mm-hmm. uh, were recovered separately. Um, and then, um, and then uh, re- were returned home. Yeah. So uh, uh, Josh was involved in all that, but uh, it's, it, for some reason, it just Michael, Michael's story resonated with Josh sure. Sure. a lot. And um, uh, so uh, we've become kind of uh, good friends and close. He was at the christening of the USS Michael Murphy, among others. Beautiful. beautiful. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad, you know, the SEALs are such a small community uh, and it's all about team, no matter mm-hmm. what you talk. So it's just, that's the way they are, yeah, yeah. you know? And so it doesn't surprise me that these uh, instruction guys um, uh, risk their lives. Uh, uh, Spanky in particular, trying to, pull a helicopter in at night on the side of a mountain, hoping that the rotor didn't, uh, didn't strike, uh, didn't strike uh, the mountainside uh, in order to, in order to pick up Marcus. Yep, um, the PJs that have to jump out of the back to retrieve yep. them. The men yep. that have to go back up into the mountains to bring your son home. It, it is incredible. It's what separates the United States of America. Yeah. I think from the people don't understand Afghanistan, how, how forbidding the territory is, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, it's difficult even to explain to them, you know, like, like they sit there and say, well, you know, after they were compromised, why did they move? And I said, well, they didn't move, but it's daylight. They can't move too far. They want to move to kind of secure a position where they have to, uh, fight if they have to fight, but, uh, in a better position where they're not, where they were compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, but they can't be running around the mountain because they're Americans. You know, people in the village would have seen them, you know, say, what are those four guys up there right. doing in, in uniform? Right. Uh, uh, so, you know, they don't realize how difficult it is. Plus, you, you can't extract them off the side of a mountain. So mm-hmm. they, they needed to find cover and then move at night. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, you get to... The only thing that distresses me sometimes, you'll see the comments, the Monday morning quarterbacks, oh, I would have done this or I would have done that. And, you know, that comes with anything. Um, but they don't they don't know. They, you know, they just they just speculate. You mentioned that Murph challenge. There is this incredible moment in the movie for for how much of it is real or not, where uh, Murph and Dietz are basically, you know, sprinting across their fob, you know, to get some exercise in in the morning. So clearly a fit guy, a guy who took his fitness seriously kept that weapon sharp and ready for battle. So, you know, after his death that you talked about, the the guys that knew him and knew him well felt so moved to to start up this, you know, this Murph challenge and really centered around what in the CrossFit world is known as a hero wad, right? A workout of the day where you honor a hero. And we are not but a few weeks out from Memorial Day weekend here. We've got an amazing conversation coming up with Jennifer Ballou, formerly Jennifer Laredo, around the Laredo Strong hero wad in honor of her former husband, Eddie Laredo, 
But for the MRF, let me tell you what the challenge is. And I want to talk to you just about the legacy that it has left. The MRF challenge, and, and many of you listening have done it. I've done it every year for the last five or six years at this point. Uh, the last four years with my F3 brothers, and we get after it every Memorial Day and, and take time to do that. One mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats in a one mile run. And to do it to standard in that 20 pound weighted vest as well, which adds a whole nother degree of difficulty to it. Your son's legacy, not only as an incredible officer in the United States Navy, not only as a man who laid down his life for our country, it's continued to build year after year. Here we are 16 years later, as we head into Memorial Day 2021, and the Murph Challenge has never been bigger. It's never been stronger. And I see nothing but nonstop content on social media about people either training for it taking part in it, celebrities training for it and taking part of it. What an incredible legacy, sir. It sure is. Chris, Pr Chris Pratt's done it um, and, and continues to do it. John Krasinski, mm -hmm. uh, the rock. The two guys uh, I thought of first. Johnson, these are guys that get out there and, uh, and they all, you know, it's, it's, I'd like to say it's not so much about Mike, as it is about, the, oh, the Murph Challenge is about this individual who sacrificed his life as a standard for people to understand, hey, there are people out there who have sacrificed their life in order to protect this country. So that it's not really just about Michael, because it would never, Michael would never want that, you know, sure. that it's about him. Um, the advantage is um, that the Murph Challenge provides uh, funding for the uh, scholarship foundation, a lot of people may not realize that Michael's favorite saying was education will set you free. Mm. And what he meant by that, when he said education will set you free, you say it all the time, is he said education, he said, dad, you know, education removes superstition, prejudice, uh, rumor mongering. You, uh, you, you learn to take people as they are and you judge a person by the content of their character, not by the religion they, they, they practice or the color of their skin or any of that. And he said, education does that. And so the family decided that that was Michael's legacy uh, to provide those education dollars. And that's what started the foundation, with, which actually Maureen John, his brother, who is a, is a cop actually, so mm -hmm. he's in the same type of business, and myself, we use Michael's death benefit to start that foundation. We now fund 33 scholarships in, wow. uh, uh, around the nation and various people for the, um, uh, the, the crew independence of the USS Michael Murphy, uh, Penn State, Michael's alma mater, uh, his high school, and then a number of military organizations, Purple Heart Organization in Washington, D.C. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, 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 we try and add one or two every year. Um, basically from the funding that we get from the Murph Challenge. Uh, uh, so when they're doing it and they pay uh, the, the official host fees or they pay and get the shirt, the nice shirt from mm -hmm. Forge, all those dollars are coming to the foundation um, to pay, uh, to provide more uh, scholarships. And well, that's you know what? what? On behalf of Pick Up the Six podcast, we have not officially signed up to, to fully take part in it, have plans to do it that Monday. We will submit our registration today so we can get that. I can add yet another Forge t-shirt to the growing collection that we have here. Big fan of what they do there. Uh, big fan of their product as well. Uh, so we'll go get ourselves officially signed up, especially knowing now and being reminded by you that those dollars 
end up in that scholarship fund. So the foundation has been set up, been doing incredibly impactful work, but it's not stopping there. And we've got uh, in the works and groundbreaking soon and ribbon cutting coming up here in the next year, uh, the Navy SEAL Museum. So tell our listeners a little bit about more continuing that legacy through the museum. Well, while it carries Michael's name, it's not about Michael. It is literally a Navy SEAL Museum. I like to like remind your listeners, you know, like with the USS Michael Murphy, the ship that's sitting out in Hawaii as part of the Pacific fleet, the family of, you know, we always think Michael's around us and we know Michael would be freaking out if it was about him. Mm -hmm. Um, So even with the ship, we have like, when they laid the keel, we made sure that the initials in that keel plate that the initials of each and every one of the 19 warriors of Operation Red Wings was in the keel plate. So that's on the ship. And in the galley is a basically a biography of all 19 of the Red Wings warriors uh, with who they were, their picture, their bio, their awards, et cetera. And so that every sailor that serves on the USS Michael Murphy is aware of that. In fact, the two um, uh, rib boats that are on, you know, the, the rubber dinghies that they that sure. they use. Uh, one is called Axe and the other is called Deets um, because it was important to uh, the family that this wasn't just Michael. You know, while the boat, while the ship has Michael's name on it, it contains within it the spirit of 19 uh, really heroic warriors. And so in the same way with the museum that we're building now is the same thing. It carries Michael's name, but it's really going to tell the story of of, of Naval Naval Special Warfare from the UDT frogmen Mm -hmm. of World War II up through Korea, Vietnam, the War on Terror, a small exhibit hall of Red Wings, uh, SEAL training. um, And in order to attract the kids, which is who you really want to get involved here, Mm -hmm. um, we put in a ride. Uh, Think Disney Soaring. But it's basically you get into a, a, a seven seat platform that moves underwater, you know, like underwater, like you're on a SEAL uh, mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, it's like a five minute ride um, because uh, that will attract the uh, sure. the schools doing their um, uh, their visits, you know, their field uh, trips and all that. Sort field of stuff. trips. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the term I was looking for. Yep. Um, and so. And the way we set it up is we have the memorial wall of all 272 SEALs, UDTs who were either killed in action or in training is like right next to where the ride is so that when they, you get the normally the Disney line, there's going to be this huge memorial wall with the pictures of all these fallen heroes. And on top of it is a, is a basic statement that says the cost of freedom. Wow. And while you're online, you can pull up on your iPhone or your iPad a picture that interests you and it will tell you their story, the theater they would, oh, they it's would incredible. Died in or how it, uh, just because that was, it was important to us that people understand, Oh yeah, this is a, a fun ride, but mm-hmm. think about where this is coming from. The That's other amazing. half, I want, I want to, I want you, I, I want to know where it is and where folks are going to be able to come see it. Can I do something first while, while it's, while we've got it, you mentioned the 19 and, and I don't want St. Michael looking down, being upset with us for not mentioning the 19. So let me do this while we've got a moment. Let me mention the 19. I've got the names in front of me. I think we pay trade them because I think that's what Mike would want us to do. Uh, Absolutely. 
Yes, sir. Here they are. Michael Murphy, Matthew Axelson, Danny Dietz, Jock Fonten, Daniel Healy, Eric Christensen, Jeffrey Lucas, Michael McGreevy Jr., James Sue, Jeffrey Taylor, Shane Patton, Seamus Gore, Corey Goodnature, Kip Jacoby, Marcus Morales, James Ponder, Stephen Reich, Michael Russell, and Chris Kerstockenbach. We take a moment to honor their memory. We know that's what Mike would want us to do in this moment. Where will this museum be found? When are we expecting an opening? How can people go see it? Well, it's a, it's in West Sable on Long Island. It'll only be really the second Navy SEAL Museum. The main attraction is down in Fort Pierce. We're kind of like an appetizer. Fort Pierce has like three or four acres. Mm -hmm. We have literally like 10,000 square feet. So um, we're kind of uh, the appetizer to, if you like what you see, you want to get down to Fort Pierce and uh, see uh, uh, what they have down there. Most of it's state-of-the-art. Uh, so rather than have vi visual like uh, static displays, it'll be more like to give you an example, you'll be able to pull up on a, um, uh, a hologram a picture of uh, their equipment and the weapons that they use, and it will turn and spin and show you uh, different things. That's why I say when I say state-of-the-art, it'll all mm -hmm. be state-of-the-art. Uh, attached to it will be uh, 4,000, basically 6,000 on the museum, 4,000 on the Sea Cadet side. There's a Sea Cadet training facility, which is really like a Boy Scouts, but it's a Naval U.S. Navy Sea Cadet, Naval Sea Cadets. Uh, where there'll be uh, basically uh, leadership training. Mm. Uh, you know, they'll le learn to be leaders, not necessarily to be military, but to learn those uh, uh, basically tools to make decisions for yourself uh, and be a leader uh, like Michael, as opposed to, um, you know, uh, just following along. You'll, you'll, they'll learn to think for themselves. Uh, and that'll make them not only if they go in the military, better military leaders, but it'll make them better American citizens. Absolutely. So it's like a dual purpose building. We have a mini grinder in the front of the building where PT can be done that looks basically just like out in Coronado. It's got the it's an asphalt place to do PT with the fins on the floor that they get in. We have a bell in the corner if they want to ring it. So do you have a hose? Uh, no, that we don't have. We're not gonna. <laughs> we're not gonna. We won't. We won't uh, do the hose or, or make them wet and sandy. Sure. Uh, but we do. Uh, uh, the way the building is set up, we have. Um, you know, it's right next to Great South Bay water it's on land and we have what we call murph's tower which is amazing it's a 70 foot tower that goes up it's wrapped in the american flag and it'll be illuminated wow. with led lights so you'll see this red white and blue that's uh going really uh, it's just gonna uh stand out when you see it uh we have uh in keeping with michael uh, the county has uh, it's on county parkland which is even better so it'll be there forever the roadway in front of the museum is called Avenue of Heroes. And there is planted on that road, 19 trees for the 19 heroes of Red Wings with a plaque in front of each tree for each person. Uh, and then what the county is allowing us to do, which I think is made really made my day when I suggested to him, we really like to do this, is we're gonna be able to open up that road as it goes towards the parking lot to allow Gold Star families who want to purchase a tree to plant a tree for their loved one. 
so sort of back, that back as the streets go back as as, as, as you come in front of the museum there's a 19 wow. trees for the men yep. as you as you make the turn to go to the parking lot there's areas there for be able to put trees for so that gold star families can purchase a tree it'll be planted in and keeping in basically in line with what's already planted there uh, they'll be able to purchase a tree for their loved one and it will be planted so that and the plaque will be there indicating their loved one. So it's a, a, it'll be a real avenue of heroes, not an avenue of Navy SEAL heroes. That's right. Incredible. MurphFoundation.org. Guys, go to that website. You can learn more about their efforts. You can donate to help in their efforts for scholarships. You heard how important it was to Murph uh, to have that education component there. So go to murphfoundation.org. Please, if you feel so moved, uh, give them a contribution today or go to the murphchallenge.com. Sign up and uh, don't just put some sweat on the line on Memorial Day as you knock out the Murph Challenge, but put some dollars on the line that'll go back to that scholarship foundation as well. We're signed up. We're going to get after it on Memorial Day in not only in Mike's honor, but in honor of all 19 lost in Operation Red Wings, and the thousands of Americans who have laid down their life in defense of our nation. And I'm not just talking about recent. You know, we're talking about all of those men that yes, we sir. lost, Omaha Beach, yes, so sir. many. And by the way, there's another there's another uh, site. Um, it's almost similar, but it's murphsealmuseum.org. There's a virtual tour on that page where you can tour the museum. You just click on it, and it will show you. It basically takes you down the path past the... Uh, outside displays into the building and around. So you get the opportunity to see what the museum will be presenting and look like uh, when uh, we open, probably we're hoping sometime towards the late fall. Very cool. MurphFoundation.org, MurphSealMuseum.org, or the Murph Challenge. Yeah. Com. Mr. Murphy, you have been incredibly gracious with your time sharing the story of your hero and to be able to sit back and watch his legacy continue to only grow as time goes on, I know uh, gives you a full and happy heart about the impact he had on our country. Um, thank you. Um, it's just it is a, um, a special one. And, you know, you know, who brought it to my attention even more is let me tell you is. Uh, Rob O'Neill, and mm -hmm. everybody knows who Rob O'Neill is. Yes, sir. And Bin Laden. Yes, sir. He received Michael's Valor Award. We give out Michael's Valor Award uh, in Washington, D.C. every year. Um, and basically, it comes through the American Veterans Center. They have a big conference down there. Uh, Rob got Michael's Award in 2019. They didn't have anything in 2020 because of the pandemic. Sure. Uh, but Rob was there and I'm talking to him. First time I met him, I just said, you know, Rob, and it kind of encapsulates everything. I go up to him, I say, you know, Michael, um, Robert, Rob, um, it, as Michael's father, it, sometimes I have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that Michael is almost like a poster boy for the Navy. Mm -hmm. uh, people bring him up so often. And Rob O'Neill, now this is a man who was involved in the rescue with, of Marcus, yep. who was involved in the rescue of Captain Phillips, yep. and then was involved in, uh, uh, in uh, the, the uh, raid on Abbottabad and the killing of Bin Laden. And he turns to me with a serious face, just turns around and said, Mr. Murphy, a poster boy, said, let me tell you, Michael is a legend in the Navy. And it was like a slap in the face. You know, it was like, holy, you know, because you sit there and go, wow, my son, a legend. Um, but the more I see people who know Michael's story or just come up to me, it's like amazing, uh, even now, um, how people want to help. 
Um, and and I mean, really mean on the museum side too, because we have people coming in, they donated, like the electricians came in, they're doing all the work for free. Wow. Uh, that's like a half a million dollars worth of work wiring up this whole place free. All the air conditioning and heating donated by wow. company. So it's, a, you know, so we've built basically an $8 million building for like a million and a half dollars. Yeah. Uh, and so um, while we still need some support to get the interior done, there's a lot of there's a lot of support out there. They they just uh, come left and right. Um, they hear Michael's story. It resonates really well with them, uh, with the manner in which um, he lived his life. Um, and I think it uh, brings a lot of caring to people that, hey, you know, that's the way I want to live my life. Yeah. You know, so that's incredible. It's, yeah, it really Murph, it's, it's murphsealmuseum.org. Guys, go over there, donate a little bit, help them finish up what they got to get finished up. It sounds like it's going to be an incredible place. That story of Rob O'Neill is powerful. You know, I heard him speak about as they're hiking up that mountain in Afghanistan to go try to retrieve Marcus to find the bodies. You know, the, the, the thought of quit never comes to their mics. Is what are you going to do? Are you going to tell? Are you going to tell Miss Latrell we didn't go get him? Are you going to tell Mr. Murphy we didn't go in there and get him? Of course not. That's what they do. They continue to constantly sacrifice and, and all the way until the end if they have to. Sir, thank you again so much for sharing this important story. I didn't tell you this beforehand. I haven't told you yet. My birthday, 28 June. Um, every year wow. since that point, uh, I try to take a little bit of time the morning when I wake up, if it's during my morning workout or whatever, to think about them and, and to think about your son and, and, the, and the 19 that were lost in that effort. And so I've always tried to take a little time and, and reflect on that on that day and, and be thankful that I get to wake up and have a birthday on that date based on what they did in defense of our nation. Well, thank you, Brian. And uh, uh, well, happy on birthday now, but I'll make sure I send you an email wishing you a happy birthday on June 28th. Yes, sir. We'll do. We'll be in touch. We're so thankful for uh, your service to this nation, for your son's ultimate sacrifice, and for your ability to join us and talk about it today. Right. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for having me. He's Dan Murphy. His son is Murph the Protector, Michael Murphy. I'm Brian Jodis, and this has been Pick Up the Six Podcast. <laughs>